The EU Commission has stated that the building sector is both the largest user of energy and consequently the largest emitter of carbon dioxide in the EU. Heating and cooling alone account for half of the EU's final energy consumption. Globally, two billion more people are expected to rise to the middle class by 2030. They will have the purchase power and demand even more construction, with basic comforts like cooling, heating, running clean water and sanitation. Fewer things will become more critical to combating global warming than cutting down carbon emissions and using energy more efficiently in our buildings. Hence, delivering a better building's performance shall be discussed in this episode of our podcast the Waves of Vavin. My name is David Iroth, and I would like to welcome today's guest of honor, Henrik Falk, a business manager for building systems at Vavin. Warm welcome, Henrik. Thank you very much, David. How does this introduction make you feel in relations to your role at Vavin? Do you kind of feel the pressure to deliver? First and foremost, it makes me feel excited about being part of that journey. We are surely addressing some of these issues with either known hardware solutions today or our ability to use digitalization in controlling the system. Especially in Europe, we have proper solutions in place for the basics like clean water and sanitation. But of course, given the climate changes, this will drive us in the direction where we can start to combine some of our systems, thinking about not only how do we heat, but how can we use the water from above in cooling the building we are living in. You covered many interesting topics that I would like to follow up. I've read some buildings are consuming energy for cooling the building, whereas parts of the same building are being heated up. Do we offer some kind of holistic solutions where the building would be also equipped with intelligence apart for the physical hardware that can cool and heat the building? At least that is on our roadmap to do so, because you're touching a very important point. Do our systems speak with one another? Are they interlinked? Do we ensure that these controls are adjusting according to the usage of a building? Please bear in mind, a building is commissioned once when there is a handover from the constructor to the owner of the building. Mm -hmm. Then what happens five years after when the building is being rebuilt or used for a different kind of usage? Normally, nothing. And that's when you start to see that there will be a mismatch between the usage and the controls of the system. So there's several records showing that if you can connect systems using AI to optimize, there is a reduction opportunity between 15 and 25 percent in energy consumption on hydronic systems. Cool. You've also suggested that we are not there yet. We are on the way towards offering the intelligence so in terms of cooling and heating today, 2022, what does Valven offer to make a building more energy effective for the cooling and heating purposes? Talking about the product portfolio that we know and see in Scandinavia, 
we have cooling ceilings today, we're having ventilation solutions, and we're having, especially around the underfloor heating, strong, strong capabilities. So just connecting our internal offerings would potentially make a difference. Again, in some areas, we might have a stronger product portfolio than in others. But what you can see is we have a market in some of these types of installations and their interlinkability will only be increasing over time. And on that note, you could say we will need eventually to step away from our focus on an closure around our own systems to a stronger commitment to share. Because it's only by sharing information that you can allow AI to connect these sets of data and really make the best adjustments out of those. Those days are over when a facility manager would have enough time and also ability to look across all of the advanced systems that you find in buildings today, and they will only increase. So we have to accept the fact that we need intelligence to support us here in order to ensure the best possible adjustment, not only for the sake of energy, but also for the sake of comfort and usage of the building. Are we targeting any specific AI or is our strategy going to be that we will simply open up an API and different AIs will be able to utilize our data for different purposes? I think what we need to understand is what role do we play in these, let's call them building management platforms or networks. I think everyone will need to step into a role where you share data and APIs might be one of the solutions. What we could potentially see is that we don't share essentially protocols, but we only share censoring data. And then it's the supplier with the highest level of intelligence in his or hers algorithms that will have the opportunity to provide the best end user outcome of that. Agreed. I would like to come back to the cooling and the use of rainwater collection for that purpose. Yeah. That's something that has really struck my curiosity. Could you please develop more to the listener? What do we mean by collecting rainwater and cooling the building with collected water. If you look at buildings design today, we have a vast majority of new office buildings that are dominated by glass and steel, uh, which also means that the need for cooling automatically becomes higher. And in many cases, the need for cooling in those type of buildings is higher than the need for heating. That sets a question mark on building design not only making a building look pretty, but also ensure that you have some energy efficiency connected to it. So having recently acquired a company designing and providing smart green roofs that essentially help in removing CO2 from our surroundings. But when installing this, you could put a reservoir below the green roof. That would make the green roof active for a longer period of time but you suddenly have a layer in between. So you could imagine that we could use this layer of water actively in order to cool our facility. You could also talk about how can we extract some of the cooling from the water under a rainfall before discharging that or collecting that into tanks that we can use for watering our green areas around the buildings. You could also think of geothermal cooling, where you actually store this water in a tank before discharging and in the meantime, drawing the cooling energy out of that before using it for watering, etc. It's not a ready to move technology, but it's for sure something that potentially could be on the radar. 
Would you recommend to a building this developer to automatically think of this smart green roof in case they are trying to design a steel and glass building like you said? For sure, I would recommend the green roof alone out of the uh, CO2 reduction opportunities and you have a sustainable part of your building and you make use of resources that we have falling down relatively oftenly. And I would say around using rainwater for, if not an active cooling, then a temperature reduction, then for sure, yes. Just like we see today where buildings close to uh, seas, you see water and you even see uh, like district heating, we see district cooling. So where several buildings join together in one cooling system instead of having our own independent systems. Distributed cooling networks. Now that sounds pretty cool. You can find several systems that already have that today. The buildings in the center of Copenhagen, they are all cooled by a district energy cooling network, meaning that they share the same cooling system and they're using seawater for the cooling application. So it's present. It's present. It's present. When products come from Valens factories, do they provide all of these values embedded onto the product level? Or do we also have to make sure that proper consulting is complemented with the physical product so that these values you're talking about would be actually utilized in praxis? I think it's clear that this has to come with some sort of consultancy. You could say new ways of working is driven by consultancy and partnership and testing out with customers. Product features alone does not mean a thing if you are not able to convey this into customer value. So that's where our skillful salespeople and engineers are to interact with our customers in order to maybe also look at what are the opportunities for our product portfolio. How can you use this in the best or the most optimum way for common benefit? New technology goes hand in hand with our ability to be the sparing partner and to act as a consultant. And for me, this is actually key because we will surely see systems where Bevin will not be able to provide the full-scale solution, but we can maybe provide parts of the solution. But if we understand the full-scale of solution, we can still take the position as sparing partner, design partner with developers, with contractors. And yes, we might only deliver 30% of it, but that's still good enough since the design is where the magic happens. That's where we can put an impact. So in case a building developer listens, what would be the top three recommendations you would give him or her? First and foremost, what is the intended usage of the building? And instead of looking at costs, which is predominantly what we see is look at the lifespan. The lifespan that you generate has a totally different impact than on the very short term cost focus. And then lastly, Invite us, open the door, let us show you what we can bring to your table and let's develop together. That was a great comment, Henrik. I would like to come back to the heating of the building itself. Could you please develop that in detail? Levin's big play on the heating side is our district energy units, so district heating units and our underfloor heating systems. 
So on both sides, we have the ability to take over from the inlet to the house up to the control in each and every room, making the opt- most optimum use of the heat and thereby also ensuring that the district energy network receives as cold a return temperature back. And that is what they need in order to drive a district energy network on high efficiency. I live in a building where I have the classical uh, central heating plus radiators beneath windows. And I've read somewhere that they have to have temperature inside of uh, about 50 degrees Celsius. What's the operating temperature of the underfloor heating? Underfloor heating generally operates at much lower temperatures, given the fact that if you, let's say, overheat a wooden flooring, you would see uh, the flooring itself being damaged. So you typically look at temperatures below 30 degrees or around 30 degrees. In terms of energy savings, how much energy do we save by swapping to underfloor heating compared to the heaters that we have on the windows? Yeah, here you have to be a little careful because you cannot put a direct link between energy optimization and your heating installation. That really depends on the building, the isolation, the age of the windows, etc. But with underfloor heating, you of course get a more even distribution of heat, depending on the type of flooring. So if it's concrete flooring, any temperature change that you would like to achieve, either up or down, maybe have a delay of 12, 24 hours. If it's below a wooden deck, then of course it's faster. Whereas the radiator is super fast, you can turn the knob and you'll have an instant reaction. So it's not super straightforward, but for the sake of comfort, what most people would like to have is an even distributed heat. And they would like to get rid of the radiators because that sort of puts limitations on how you can use the room, at least where you can place your furniture. So generally, we do see that underfloor heating is winning. Any house built today, the vast majority of rooms will be with underfloor heating. And of course, you could say we know that it is, it's a proper use of energy, but it's not like I could say that wouldn't be the same with radiators in an equally good insulated house. So I think this has more sides than just uh, one simple story to it. Good answer. Um, could you tell us more about the distributed heating networks and systems? What does Varvin offer for cities and city districts for heating? What we offer right now is the units that you would put typically in one or two family houses or in in apartment buildings. We do not carry the big substations of district energy networks. But of course, our units needs to be approved. So we carry close dialogues with the district energy companies to ensure uh, approvals, but also to ensure that they are aware of what advantages our units are bringing towards the end user but it's typically the end user that we will be addressing. And here we have the ability to play an optimization game together with our district energy units. If it's in combination with the underfloor heating systems, so we have some offerings, but it tends to become more technical. We cannot expect that end users understand the full extent of the pros and cons of selecting one brand over the other. So that's a role we are playing together with the technical installers, ensuring that they make the right decisions on behalf of the private end users. Henrik, I have one final question. We have talked about the smart green roofs being able to cool our buildings. We have talked about district uh, heating plus also underfloor heating. If you take a look at these solutions that we are offering, how do they help 
to mitigate the carbon footprint from buildings? A good question. Our systems with intelligent controls that enables the best possible adjustments of the heating systems, that is key in order to drive a efficient energy supply, even in low temperature systems. So that's a very clear example of where we do have a play and where is it that we are making a difference. And it's only our imagination that sets limitations for what could be the next functionalities that we would build into this. Imagine us connecting the water that goes into a building to the heat distribution in a building, connecting that to the ventilation system as an example. And again, like the cooling side, why do we have ventilation systems running at fixed speed all the time? Why don't we have CO2 emission sensors that vent rooms independently depending on the air quality in a room? Of course, the reason for not doing that today is that many countries' legislation has not opened for that opportunity. We do see legislations and the demands for new buildings being adjusted to meet or giving system providers the opportunity to work with technology that will enable us to go to those 50% reductions. Because the demands that has been set as standards today would prevent you from reaching it. So this is also about changing legislation and thereby changing our opportunity to operate in, in the most efficient way. And this was Henrik Falk, our business manager for Better Building Systems from Denmark. Thank you so much, Henrik, for your time. This was a really pleasant talk. Good. And uh, I hope that you have left our listeners with something to think about. You're listening to the podcast, The Waves of Marvin. In this episode, we scratch the surface of how the Internet of Things embedded within blue and green roofs and cooling or heating systems can mean the world for energy efficiency of our buildings. As the whole IoT topic teased my curiosity, in the next episode we will dive deeper into Marvin's IoT architecture. I want to know how IoT can minimize fresh water use, prevent from floods and droughts, and accelerate the climate adaptation of our cities. My name is David Yerod, and I hear you next time. Take care.